0: Hi, and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centred, Word-based and Spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhom and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. Well, you're ready for the Word this morning. I'm excited to preach it. And we're going to be reading, to begin with, nine verses uh, from the first letter to the Thessalonians. So if you have your Bibles... You can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter one and we will pick up at verse two. And this is what it says. It says, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that He has chosen you because our Gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model of, to all the believers in Macedonia, Achaia and Australia, <laughs> the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This morning, the title of my message is Joy in the Journey. I pray, ask God just to bless our time this morning. So, Lord, we just thank you that wherever we are, Lord, you are present, that your Holy Spirit right now is ministering to your people, that you know every circumstance, every situation. God, that You are with families, with individuals, wherever they may be right now. We pray, God, as we open up the Word of God, that we would be encouraged uh, by what we read, that we would see You in the Scriptures, God, and our hearts would come alive in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Now, in life, we tend to uh, look ahead (laughs) uh, to things that we're hoping for, believing for, things that we'd like to see in our life, you know, our goals, our milestones. I remember in school, distinctly towards the end of school, thinking, you know what? It's almost time for my life to begin. As soon as school's done, that's it. This is where life starts for me, right? And uh, I remember not long after that, when I finished school and started you know, working, I'm like, wow, full-time work is intense. <laughs> How good was school? <laughs> Six hours a day with all your friends, you can get a chicken burger for $4.50. Life is good at school and you don't realise it until you seem like you move on from that season and you go into the next. And you know, I remember being single and you know, just, just wanting a girlfriend, just believing God, how good would it be to have a girlfriend, someone to just hang out with? And then you know what, you get the girlfriend and then you start thinking, man, imagine if we were married. Imagine how good it would be if we were together, married as a married couple, have the ring on the finger, so good. And then you get married and you're like, oh my gosh, we want to have kids. How awesome would it be to have a family, to be a, to be a dad, to have kids, you know? And then you have kids and you're like, I want sleep. <laughs> I just how good would it be to have some sleep? And It's like, no matter where you find yourself, it's easy to always be looking to the next thing to provide that sense of enjoyment in life. We sometimes think that if I can get there, then I will enjoy my life. Then I'm gonna have some, then, then life will be Okay i got to tell you, I'm, I'm in my 30s now, right? So I am no spring chicken. And I've realised that if I haven't arrived at a point where I have any joy in my life yet, then I never will. <laughs> I'll be 80 and still thinking about what's next or what I haven't yet achieved or the things that are yet to come. And so we have this idea of joy being this elusive future position or place that we can arrive at when everything around me is in order. When things around me are as they should be, then I will have joy. You know, um, joy though is not a destination. Joy is meant to be found in the journey. The challenge is we often associate joy with fair weather. We think when things are good, that's where joy exists. When the wind's at my sails and I'm cruising along and life's awesome, that is when I can see joy. Joy. But joy, you know, doesn't just exist in that place of good times. Because in life, who knows that life includes great success and times where things are always working, but life often also includes struggles, challenges, trials, tragedy, suffering. And even in these places, joy is found. The interesting thing about joy is that joy and suffering are not mutually Exclusive, you know, this letter that Paul writes to the Thessalonians is uh is quite remarkable. Uh, we, we, you know, most scholars will believe that this is Paul's first letter that he writes, the first letter, and the letters being the first books of the Bible penned, uh, the New Testament penned. This is potentially the first writing that we have of the early church. Uh, We get to have an insight into what was happening in, in life at that time, and And this letter comes in response to this whole story. And you can read this story in Acts chapter 17 of when Paul and Silas and Timothy, they go to Thessalonica and they get there. And as they do, everywhere they go, they start sharing the Gospel. They start talking about Jesus. And they go to the synagogues, first of all, and they share Jesus. Now, some people in the synagogues believed, uh, but many, you know, were sort of trepidatious or unsure. And so after sharing the synagogues, uh, it says that they preached to the Gentiles and many, many Gentiles believed. Now, this uprising of you know, believers, Christian believers in the city actually caused some tension and these sort of uh, you know, these, these locals started to get a bit upset about it and they, they round everybody up and they start these riots. These riots get so intense that only after a few weeks of Paul and his, uh, his brothers being in that town talking about Jesus, this riot gets so intense that they have to get Paul out of there. And the others out of there. They're like, you gotta go. And so Paul is rushed out of this city, and he's he's taken to the next city, and he is praying for the Thessalonians, knowing that they are under intense persecution. And as he looks at this story of these people, you know, his heart you can imagine is, is breaking for these people and what they're going through. Well, a little while later, a couple of towns later, Timothy comes back with a report to Paul and he says, Paul, you're not gonna believe it. Not only are the Thessalonians surviving, they are thriving. Like they are on fire. All the things that God started, He continues. The work that's happening in their heart, it's overflowing in this joy and this experience of their faith that is amazing. So Paul is so excited and he writes this letter. And this letter is not one of correction or one of trying to get things on the straight and narrow. This is one of just great excitement, encouragement. He is championing them on for their endurance in the midst of their suffering. In the midst of their suffering, they had joy. One Thessalonians one verse six says, "You welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit." Do you know where does this joy come from? Well, this joy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. That joy that they had was given to them by the Holy Spirit. You know, joy is not circumstantial. It doesn't come because of the surroundings. In fact, it says that they were in the midst of severe suffering when they received the Gospel with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. It's not circumstantial. Joy is actually a fruit of the Spirit. It is actually the byproduct of God's presence in a person's life is that joy overflows. In all seasons, in all circumstances, joy exists. Well, are all circumstances good? Of course not. You know, life involves tragedy and difficulty and challenge. And, you know, the truth is that Without God's presence, tragedy is just tragedy. And this is where the true benefit of being a believer comes to play. Because if you go through deep tragedy and there is nothing there, there there's no God and His presence there for you, it is just tragedy. But even tragedy, suffering, difficulty, trials, if God is present in those things, are not wasted, but they are used by God in the making of a person You know, on Friday, uh, we're at this amazing wedding for a young adult couple from our church. Um, And I was talking to a friend of mine. And as we were talking, I was just thinking about how amazing he is and the life that he's living. He's a married man and, you know, he's just started his new job. And, you know, he's really excelling in life. But if you know the story of him and his siblings, you know, they have gone through more trial and suffering in their short lives than most people will do in their entire lives. I remember thinking about it and thinking like, you could have been excused for having you know, a, a life that was a mess. You know, As I look at your life, it's, it would be understandable. I, couldn't, I wouldn't be upset at you for having a life that was a mess, but you chose in the midst of your suffering, when you had the big questions, when you were challenged and trials faced you, to work with God. And because you placed your life in God's hands, then all of a sudden those things that were meant to destroy you actually make you. And the depth and the character and the maturity that comes is amazing. I love this verse in James chapter 1, verse 2-4. to four. It says, "'Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, "'whenever you face trials of many kinds, "'because you know that the testing of your faith "'produces perseverance. "'Let perseverance finish its work "'so that you may be mature.'" complete, not lacking anything. You know, God's presence is our gift and His presence brings joy and uh, these Thessalonians experienced this to the point of being examples to others and so it says in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 7 that you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia and I chucked in Australia there but that wasn't part of the Scripture's Please don't yeah, throw stones at me. It was, uh, it was to encourage us that they're example to these believers. But even now, as we read this Scripture, they're an example to us of what does it mean to, in the midst of difficulty, live with the joy of God? What is it about this community of believers that models joy in the journey? You know, Paul remembers and thanks God for three things that marked the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3, it says this, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, love, hope. You know, one theologian that I read put those three things as the major graces of Christianity. Faith, love, hope. We read about uh, this in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 13, it says, and now these three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. That, that portion of Scripture in 1 Corinthians first, uh, chapter 12, 13 and 14 is actually all about spiritual gifts. And it starts by talking about all the gifts that God's given you and the things that you can expect by having the Holy Spirit a part of your life. And then it goes on to say, well, all of these things are good, and, you know, speaking in tongues and prophesying and, you know, uh, having knowledge and, and, and faith that can move mountains. All that's good, but ultimately love is what's most important. And he goes through what love is. And uh, we, we wonder, you know, what is it that makes these three so major? Well, these three things, faith, love and hope are the grounding of our faith. And faith is ultimately fulfilled when we see Christ. And hope is fulfilled when He comes again and we are with Him. And this is why love remains. Because once faith and hope are are complete, love and its purity and its absolute um, completeness is our experience for all eternity. You know, on this side of Christ's return, these three elements, faith, love and hope, are where we find our grounding as believers. Our joy is not found in our circumstances. Our joy is not found in the the decisions of those around us, but our joy is found in Him. And as we are in Him, the joy is reflected in our faith, our love and our hope. You know, I was just thinking particularly about this season that we're in right now of uncertainty globally and even just more acutely in our current circumstance being in lockdown You know, these circumstances can rattle you, can sort of make you feel a bit shaky, but I encourage you as a believer that you are not building your life upon shaky ground, that you're not building your life upon the circumstances around you, but you are building your life upon the presence of the living God. That there is faith, love and hope that are things you can anchor yourself in. You can walk in, you can live in that exist regardless of the circumstances around you. And as you look to your God, you will find joy even in the midst of suffering. God wants us to walk out our journey with Him full of joy. So what does joy on the journey look like? Well, we're gonna go through three things modelled by the Thessalonians that help us see what joy in the journey looks like. The first one, joy in the journey, looks like work produced by faith. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 says, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. This work that's a byproduct of this faith that began. Faith comes first. If you're somebody watching this and you're in your own heart have never maybe opened up your heart to believe or look to, to God or to receive Jesus to have faith, then I encourage you the first step is faith. You know, this, this uh, passage of scripture we just read. Um, we sort of have to go forward to look back, but we see this faith, love and hope at work, but it's actually an echo of their encounter with the Gospel. In 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9 and 10, it says, you turned to God, which is the faith that they showed, from idols to serve, which is this love between them and God, the living and true God, and you wait for His Son from heaven, which is the hope. So we see what, what happens in verse 3 echoed in verse 9 and 10. And it all begins with faith, with a turning to God from idols. Now, sometimes we think in our current context, well, idols, they're a thing of the ancient uh, days. They're from antiquity, you know, from back in the day when people used to worship these idols. But the truth is that we can still have idols in our life. We can have things that we put in the place of God. Things that we elevate above God. You know, things like uh, money, where we, we, if we have enough money, we think that we will be safe and secure. We put money in that place that will somehow bring us security or opportunity, that desire for a promotion to go to the next level. You will do anything and everything to get to that next place. For some people, it's family. This, this need for a family or the desire for a family or even just wanting to make the family Uh, around you, you're absolutely everything or a house for many people believing to have that breakthrough. You know, none of these things are bad. In fact, all of these things, opportunity, family, a house, money, all those things, they're actually gifts from God to His kids. Like these are good things, but they were never meant to be God. Now, so many good things have been ruined by us when we expect them to be God. How many things that God wants to bless us with do we ruin because we start to put pressure on them that they were never meant or able to handle? When you start to think that, you know, your partner or your spouse or that person that you love is everything to you, you put a pressure on them to be something for you that they were never created or able to bring. You know, you think, uh, you know, your, your, your finances or your opportunity, you put this pressure thinking, you know, that is what I need. Well, the problem is, We go through good times and we go through bad times. And if you have built your life with these things as God, when pressure comes, they will buckle. And I've seen many people ruin good relationships, ruin great opportunities, even ruin aspects of their family because they expect those things to be God. It all starts with us understanding that we are not those who worship these things, but we worship the living God. And when it comes to Work produced by faith, the overflow of that faith are the good works that God has planned in advance for us to do, as Ephesians 2 teaches us. The byproduct of faith is a God led, a spirit led life. And so, the question we want to first ask ourselves is Am I allowing God to lead my life? Have I established Him as number one? And as we live with God first, He will direct our ways, and our work will be works of faith. That's Romans 14 talks about. Anything that's done, you know, not in faith is actually sin. What faith is, is the choosing to do God's will. And as we walk in God's will, we experience God's life. What does John 1 says? It says that in Him was life and that life was the light of all people. God has life and as we follow Him, that's what works of faith are all about. So firstly, joy in the journey looks like works produced by faith, living with God as number one and following His promptings as we live our life. And secondly, it is labour prompted by love. So 1 Thessalonians 3 again says, we remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love. You know, love is our motivation. Love is everything for a believer. Love is at the very centre of, of where the the desires and the motivations for our life actually come from. You know, with the Thessalonians, it says they turned from idols to God. And then it goes on to say that they turned to the living and true God, to serve the living and true God. Do you know, the result of seeing God is this relationship, this communion, that because of Jesus, we can be brought into a relationship with God and we experience God's love. Now the natural flow on from experiencing God's love is to reflect God's love to those around us. Do you know, the more we, ra- we uh, commune with God, the more love reigns in our lives. Because God is love. You know, we see it in who He is, in His nature, the triune community that is God. Father, Son and Holy Spirit, it is love that exists there. So when we see and come into communion with God, we actually get gain the love that God has and we know what it is to love. What does the Bible say in 1 John chapter four? It says, We love because God first loves us. Love is the driving force behind all we do. What does love look like? Well, there's this great chapter, the marriage wedding chapter, 1 Corinthians 13 that we talked about just before, that talks about love. It says love is patient. Love is kind, does not boast, it's not self-seeking. You know, it goes through all of these different things. These aspects of love that help us to understand what they are. It's patient, it's good. And these these aspects of love, what you realize is none of these aspects are circumstantial. That all of these aspects of love can be outworked in any and every situation. And so we have a choice this morning, given the nature of what's happening around us, how will I respond? in bitterness, in disappointment, in frustration or anger? Or will I choose to step back and go into the presence of God and actually come out with a, the, the, a knowledge and an understanding of His love that I can reflect to the world? And as we, as believers, shine God's love in a time where circumstances would encourage others to do else uh, otherwise, then I'm telling you that is how the glory of God is seen. Your family, your, your colleagues, your, your school uh, friends, your, your uni mates, these people will see that in the midst of circumstances that don't seem to <clears throat> welcome love, you walk in love. We lack If we lack this love loving approach in our life, we need to return to His love. Love is the driving force behind all that we do. And whatever is not done in love does not last. I'd love to just uh, invite our band just to, come back and join me. And uh, in just a few minutes, we will hear from them again. But the first one that joy in the journey looks like is work produced by faith, where our lives are a response to God's goodness. We are Spirit-led. We are directed by God in all that we do. Secondly, it's labour prompted by love. Our motivation is love. And our understanding of love comes from a revelation of God. And thirdly, the third joy, uh, that look that we see in the journey is endurance inspired by hope. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 2 and 3 says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This hope, that we're, we're learning about here, that the Thessalonians are talking about, is this hope for a return of Jesus. We read that in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, it says that part of what they had, the hope they had was to wait for His Son from heaven. And one of the main purposes in the two letters to the Thessalonians that we see, uh, you know, that, that Paul uses those letters for, is to teach these believers and to educate them a little bit about what Jesus' return really means. And what to look for. You see, there was such intense suffering in Thessalonica and for the believers. You know, one of the when Paul and his, his, uh, his brothers left, one of the, the people that owned, the, the gentleman Jason who owned the house that they were in, he was arrested. He was brought before the, the, the city um, uh, officials and challenged. You know, there was true persecution and suffering as they pursued the things of God. They were in a such a state that they were just like, Jesus, come back now. In fact, they were waiting for Him day by day, thinking, when will you return? And so Paul uses these letters to teach them what to expect and what hope to have for His return. Do you know the idea of the return of Christ or the second coming of Christ, you know, it's known in, in theology as Christian hope. And I remember when I first heard that thinking, oh, no, nah, not me. I'm, I don't know if I hope for that. I'm scared of that. But what it was is actually a misunderstanding about what the second coming of Christ is all about. When you actually see God's return, Jesus' return for what it is, it does bring hope. This great expectation that all things that are not right will be set right. A return to the things that are important. Justice will be established and the, 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 the right and the wrong of this world will be rectified. You know, I, I remember this sort of making sense to me one day when I was in a slum in the Philippines and someone that we were with was talking to me saying, um, you know, about the, the, the believers in the slum because the majority of these believers um, would become believers and they would just have joy. But they wouldn't leave the slum because that's their life. That's all they know. That's where their family is. That's what life looked like. And, and, and life in a slum is very difficult. I remember uh, this, this person who we were with telling us, you know, for them, the idea of heaven, the idea of Jesus, returning, the idea of eternal life is the greatest hope that they have. Because there is not much that they enjoy about this life. But in the midst of all of their suffering, all of their trial, all of their challenge, the fact that they know this isn't it, gives them great hope. This eternal perspective changes what you expect from this world's experience. You see, the easiest thing to do, especially in our society where we're relatively comfortable is to think, well, I just need to experience everything I want now. And when you have got hundreds and thousands and millions of people trying to get everything they can, take everything they can, live life and grab everything they can, all these people living with that self-centred idea of this is my moment, this is my chance, I will take it. I will do whatever I can right now to live my life. You have these clashes, difference of opinion, pain caused suffering. People being walked over, people being used, people you know um, being joy filled because their circumstances are good, and then being deeply depressed because their circumstances are bad, and they they attach themselves to this roller coaster, this roller coaster of circumstances, because no matter how good you think you have it, we are only one moment away from something that could really affect that. But eternal hope an assurance that there is more in Him, assurance that there is something going on here that is bigger than what I can understand, that hope actually gives us the ability to have contentment. And this is what Paul talks about in Philippians 4, verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need for I have learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. You know, Paul got it. He got that. And it goes on to say after that verse, it says that, When I've had a lot and when I've had a little, I know what it's like. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. There is this sense that when you have an eternal perspective, when you know there is more than just what you can achieve right now and see right now, you all of a sudden have patience for the process. You have this trust in a God who is bigger than you can understand, an eternal God, an eternal perspective gives you patience with the process. And so I'm speaking to someone right now who is so frustrated and you're angry at God and you're like, why God? Why? Well, I want to encourage you. God wants you to trust Him. Trust Him in the midst of your suffering. Trust Him in the midst of your circumstance. Trust Him in the midst of whether it's good times or bad times, wherever you find yourself, trust Him. And what you will find is contentment because the gift is His presence. And the gift is that even though you suffer, you now get to see God in a way that you never would have before. And He will take the most difficult things in your life and He will use them for your good. We trust Him with our lives. At the beginning, as the Gospel came to the Thessalonians, they turned from their idols to Him. They served God in love and they had a hope that Jesus would return. And they continued in faith, in love and in hope. Is my work an act of faith? Is my labour driven by love? Is my endurance founded in my eternal hope? You know, wherever you are right now, can I just ask if you're able to just, um, you know, make some space to worship God. And I'm just gonna ask our team to sing Awesome God right now. And whether that's standing up or wherever you may be, whatever you need to do right now to just put your attention on God, to take your eyes off your circumstances. And if you can be thankful for nothing, be thankful for the fact that God is with you right now in whatever you're walking through and it will not be wasted. And let's take a moment to fix our eyes on Him and receive the gift of joy from the Holy Spirit, that we may continue in faith, in love and in hope. So come on, wherever you are right now, let's worship for a few moments. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.